On the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we want to talk about worship in some detail here. Yeah, uh, talk about worship in a, in a couple of ways that maybe we don't discuss too often. I think everybody has sort of an underlying understanding of the fact that sometimes I worship. I can worship God when I'm all alone by myself. I can do things that constitute worshiping God when I'm completely by myself. But is there a difference between that and what we are to do and supposed to do when we assemble together in the church? So we're going to talk, we're calling it individual versus corporate worship. All right. We're going to talk about that and we're getting started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- 381-381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, uh, May 14th, 2020. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Kyle's behind the controls. Kyle, welcome. It's always good to be here. Yeah, looking forward to being with you tonight. Looking forward to hearing from you on the other end of the line at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. In the chat room, they're signing in the chat room. I uh, see some uh, some listeners all around the U.S. tonight. Uh, if you're listening uh, uh, tonight, uh, join in the chat room. Maybe just share your location with others so we know how far and wide this virtual Bible study group is. We're not sitting around a literal kitchen table tonight it's a virtual one and it's a pretty big table uh, and, and and lots of social distancing yeah, we're at least six feet apart no uh, i mean well I we mean, are yeah, and everybody else. with everybody else, everybody else. Farther than yeah. That. Yeah. lots farther because i see uh, lou in minnesota and and brian in california and dwight in iowa at least i mean uh, they're hundreds of miles socially yeah. distanced from us but we're still able to study together we're pretty much back to normal on the virtual bible study thankfully uh still obviously our whole country the whole world is dealing with this coronavirus pandemic and things are not back to normal yet and may not be for some time but uh we want to maintain our emphasis on spiritual things on bible study on serving god faithfully and doing his will effectively and so uh, we're really blessed to have technology on our side that we can do things like the virtual Bible study. We can do things like live stream sermons and so forth, uh, Zoom meetings for Bible study. Uh, it's really a good thing. I don't think it's the ideal setting that everybody wants, but it sure has been filling a gap uh, in the middle of this crisis. And it is an, an important time for us to stop and uh, and focus on spiritual things. Maybe, uh, you know, things have slowed down. We've got more time in our schedule. Good time to stop back and reflect and say, you know, are, yeah. are we keeping spiritual things where they need to be kept in our life and our priorities? Yeah. And and this, as I said, this, this crisis, although I think in terms of past crises, this is not a, this is not as big as what a lot of people have dealt with in the past. We, we talked recently about 
the Spanish flu pandemic just very slightly over 100 years ago that was so very devastating around the world and in our country. Yeah. This is not that bad. We haven't, we haven't been affected that bad, but people are hurting. I just might mention a, a really good friend and brother, uh, Jim Dorn, up in Indian, Indianapolis, passed away this week from the coronavirus uh, and uh, I know his family is in mourning, and uh, and we grieve his passing. But he was a great guy, and he was really a wonderful Christian. And so, uh, the hope that we have in Christ sustains us at times like that. So, uh, sympathies out to the Dorn family. Yeah. All right. Um, and so, hopefully, everyone on the other end of the line tonight is safe and well, and uh, we have a good opportunity tonight to look to the scriptures and uh, and learn from God's word as we think about worshiping Him. Uh, you know, wor- worshiping God is a top priority. It has been throughout time. But w- God is very uh, regimented in the kind of worship that he wants. All the way back to Cain and Abel, we see God had certain requirements for worship, and he expected those requirements to be met. And so it's important for us to pause and say, all right, what does God want from us today? I think that's a really good observation, Jacob. And I hadn't thought about it, but... Uh, Cain and Abel constitute the first recorded efforts at worshiping God. Right. And in the very first recorded episode of worship, one guy did it right and the other guy did it wrong. God accepted one, rejected the other. Right. So that that tells us, I mean, the start of God's history with man concerning worshiping him shows that he just won't take everything. He won't take he won't take anything. That when we worship him, we need to do it the way he said. Yeah, even though it involved sacrifice on Cain's part. I mean, he's sacrificing those vegetables that no doubt he had to sweat a lot because that was part of the curse that his parents inherited for him. Uh, with uh, He's going to eat the food in the sweat of his brow. So he worked hard for those vegetables. He offered them to God. And most people would say, well, that's great. But God said, no, that's not what I wanted, and I'm not pleased with that. And so it does matter how you worship God. We can look through the scriptures as we go on through time and see other examples of that. Uh, God God sets forth his expectations, and he wants those expectations to be met. I think that's right. So that's a good intro to what we want to talk about tonight. How about our worship? The things we do privately, individually, or maybe in small groups, and the things that we do when we come together as a congregation of God's people. We're calling it individual versus corporate worship. Here's the questions we sent out to our update list earlier today. We always encourage you to get on our list if you're not. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Say, put me on the list. If you're on our list, you would have gotten these questions or, or these points for discussion earlier today. Number one, give the necessary components of acceptable worship. Number two, concerning each of the five acts of worship, list the things necessary to make them scriptural especially discussing whether or not each act may be done alone with a few other Christians or only in the assembly of the church, singing, praying, teaching, giving, and the Lord's Supper. Okay. Number three, does a, does a simple plurality of Christians establish a setting wherein all acts of worship may be engaged with special emphasis on Matthew eighteen twenty, and I think most of our listeners recognize Matthew eighteen twenty is that famous statement of Jesus, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. We'll talk about that. Number four, does a virtual meeting over the internet qualify as an assembly of the church, allowing for the observance of all acts of worship? And then I, I, I meant to add, and should have added, and if we get time, we'll discuss it. 
What about what we're hearing is happening uh, fairly frequently just within the last couple of weeks as some of the lockdown requirements have been eased? Some congregations are splitting the congregation up into smaller groups. Maybe we'll have a worship at 830 for this class of people and then maybe at 1030 for this group. Uh, uh, splitting the congregation into two or maybe more smaller groups and having worship services for the smaller identified groups within a congregation. What about that? Does that is that uh, appropriate? Uh, does it fit the pattern? All right, we'll talk. Hopefully we'll get time to talk about that towards the end. And so you want to get your comments ready for that in the chat room tonight. And at any time, jump in the chat room, send us an email, or get on the phone and uh, share your comments with the world because, well... No offense to you, but it's better when we hear from our listeners. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, we've absolutely. always said. It. I, th- I, I if you go back and listen to our archives, we were we've been saying that since the virtual Bible study began, fifteen years ago, yeah. almost fifteen years ago, soon to be fifteen we're years real ago. Close. Yeah. All right. All right. So when I say number one, put out the question: What's the necessary components of acceptable worship? I think. I think probably almost all the people who are listening to us tonight, what comes to their mind immediately. John four twenty four. Yep. Uh, God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And we have always pointed out. I can remember since the time I was a little kid, preachers emphasizing the two components: in spirit and in truth. Uh, in spirit suggests that you know we we've got to be involved sincerely from the heart. That if if our heart and soul is not in it, if our if we're not if we're just Going through the mechanical motions of worship, God's not pleased with that. That's not good enough. Uh, An outward show simply will not get the job done. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus spoke of some uh, of the importance of having our hearts right. he, he, he talked about, for instance, almsgiving in Matthew 6, verse 2, when thou doest thou alms, do not, doest thou alms, do not sound a, uh, a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have the glory of men. Verily I say to you, they have their reward. Verse 5, when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen them. And verily I say to you, they have their reward. Then skipping down to verse 16, when you fast, do not as the hypocrites uh, do not be as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say to you, they have their reward. So in all of those familiar statements, Jesus is saying, don't just be going through the motions and don't be doing it as a, just a show, a pretense. You've got to be sincere. It's got to be in spirit. Don't fake it. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we've all seen folks that worship Kyle that, uh, you know, maybe uh, the guy's there because his wife nagged him if he wouldn't come to church with her or. You know, the, uh, the, the teenagers there and his parents are, you know, make him come. And you could tell, I mean, I'm, we're not judging, but pretty sure their heart's not in it. Pretty sure God's not happy with, uh, with that just by the look on their face. Uh, yeah, so. Yeah, which I'm not, I'm not, uh, I think in any worship assembly, if you can see people who are, uh, just happen to be dozing off, you don't know what they're doing the night before, you don't know if what their heart, uh, if they're, Intent on the study, if they're opening the Bibles, if there's not uh, the scriptures on the uh, overhead, if they're just looking to the scriptures, if they're just, you can tell whose heart is in the worship assembly, who's singing with, 
you know, the love in their heart. So you can really tell. You can. Yeah. But, uh, I agree with you that there's sometimes it seems pretty obvious that people are not really into the worship. Like, we got to be careful about judging hearts. Oh, no, no, uh, yeah. We're not uh, judging. Uh, but you can right. tell by look on their face. Yeah. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're, their heart's showing on their face. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. somebody drug them there or well, they and, wish they were and, somewhere and, you know, else. Or, and the guy, the guy who falls asleep, he may, he may be. You know, dealing with some issues, some medical right, issues, yeah, or right. whatever. Yeah, right. So we're not we're not trying to, but we're just saying, and all of us need to especially judge ourselves in this that if your heart's not in it, it's not acceptable worship. Right, it's right. got to be sincere. Yeah, right. But but, and I think this is a big problem. I think people have gone overboard in the in that direction. That as long as I am sincere, as long as my heart is in it, then anything goes. Yeah. And uh, that's become sort of the the very accepted standard in our religious world today. That as long as you are sincere, then everything's okay. That's that's sort of the the, the barometer here. Is, is and, my worship okay? Well, that, how did it make me feel? Was I re, you know was I really pouring out my heart to God? Then then that's fine. Yeah. And so they got they've got the spirit part right, but they're lacking the truth. Others have the truth part right, but they're lacking the spirit and. John four twenty four says you got to get the you got to get the balanced blend of both of those things going if you're going to have acceptable worship. All right, here's what Kent said down in Calhoun, Georgia. There are necessary components of authorized worship. A, worship the proper being God. Well, we didn't talk about that, but that's, yeah. I guess that's inherent in the truth part. Worshiping God. B, worship based upon the proper attitude, the spirit. C, worship based upon the proper authority or truth, John 4, verse 23 and 24. Implicit within these verses necessitate individual action. One cannot truly worship God without our personal action. As we know, an additional New Testament teaching distinction must be made between personal devotions and the collective assembly worship, Acts 16, 25, Acts 20, verses 6 and 7. Question, if there's no distinction to be made between personal devotions and collective assembly worship, why did Paul and his traveling companions wait seven days to engage in a collective assembly worship with the brethren at Troas? I think that last question is a good one that Kent asked. It seems very clear in that narrative of Acts chapter 20, verse 7, that they arrived in Troas and specifically waited before proceeding with their journey in order to be there on the Lord's Day to join with the disciples who'd come together to observe the Lord's Supper. There's something special. There's something important about Christians coming together to worship, important enough that they would stay around for that, important enough that Christians were risking their lives to assemble in the New Testament. You know, this wasn't, uh, these weren't, uh, uh, this wasn't a friendly environment. It wasn't, you know, the whole community didn't say, oh, they're going to church on Sunday. That's great. No, there there was a lot of animosity, hostility towards them, and yet they still wanted to assemble. Yeah. All right. And we got a comment from Dwight, I think. We do. Dwight says there are three components I can think of. Number one, Christians. Number two, location. Number three, spirit and truth. As it says in Acts 20, verse 7, when they were gathered together, denotes Christians were together to break bread, that is, to partake of the Lord's Supper. They Christians were somewhere, were together uh, somewhere, the location, in this case, an upper room. Okay. Thanks, Dwight. Yeah. I think Dwight you're right about that. All right. So uh, w- 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 we got to get that right then. Uh, we're up to our time for a break, but we got to get the two things together and we can't compromise on either one of those. And we got to, we got to be very careful in this particular time. I'm afraid that some people are not being real careful about the truth part of it. Well, these are unique times. These are 
unusual circumstances. This is a situation like we've never faced before. And so we might twist things a little. We might pervert just a little to accommodate the, the, the times. We got to be careful about that. That's not, that's not proper thinking. All right. So we need to step back. Every one of us needs to step back and realize how important it is that we worship God as he as we are instructed in John 4, verse 24. Jesus said we need to worship God in spirit and in truth. How are we doing on that? Are we sure that we're worshiping him in spirit and in truth? When we get back from the break, we're going to dig a little deeper. We're, we're peeling back the onion one more layer here. Okay. So let's talk about the five acts of worship and what kind of what kind of necessary components are essential for each act of worship to be proper. Stay on the line. We're back right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Hi, I'm Anthony Petrochko, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study. We want to remind you that our website, www.collegeview.com or www.thevirtualbiblestudy.com, has lots of valuable study tools available for your use. First, you can find archives of all our past programs there. We've covered a wide variety of topics, including doctrinal issues, moral and ethical questions, and many things related to living daily as a Christian. And while we don't have a search engine option on our website, remember that you can hit Control-F and type in a keyword. You'll then see that keyword highlighted on the page. For instance, if you hit Control-F and typed in the word worship, you'd find these past programs that we've conducted. Does it matter how we worship? What about contemporary worship and hand clapping? Are worship pleasing to God or pleasing to man? And instrumental music in worship? That's just an example, but you get the idea as to how the webpage can be used to help in your study of various subjects. Also remember that we have copies of our church bulletin on the website, and these bulletins include articles on hundreds of topics. You'll also find some recorded sermons, some Bible tracts, as well as information about the College View Church. So be sure to check out the valuable resources on our website. Again, the address is collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And thanks again for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Be sure to tell others. Here's some quotes worth pondering. You can't do anything about your ancestors, but you can influence your descendants greatly. No person was ever honored for what he received. Honor has been the reward for what he gave. You don't get much done by starting tomorrow. Love without action is just lazy. In fact, it isn't really love at all. Man, wish I'd said that. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. We are back on the program as we talk about worship, and uh, we look at uh, the fact that we must be worshiping in spirit and in truth, that God has always given instructions on how he wanted to be worshiped, and expected those instructions to be met. Back at this story again of Cain and Abel. Cain uh, did not follow the instructions that God had given him. We don't have details there in, in, in Genesis of, of the instructions, but we do know that there were instructions given because Abel offered by faith that had to come from instructions. We don't have faith any other way than from God, God's instructions to us. So Abel followed the instructions. Cain didn't. It mattered to God. It mattered so much to God uh, that he was not pleased with Cain's sacrifice. It does matter how we worship God. God doesn't just say, hey, anything you want to offer me, 
If you want to, if you want to do uh, flying trapeze for Jesus on Sunday morning, uh, that's fine. As long as you praise me as you're flying through the air, that'll be great. And just be excited about it. Go for it. No, that's not true. Okay. Let's dig into these five acts of worship. Let's take an easy one first: singing. Okay. Because I think singing illustrates that you can do this when you're alone. You can sing. James 5, verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. And so I could just be sitting in my house, happy with all the good blessings that God has showered upon me and just burst out in singing. I could be driving down the road. I can sing psalms, praising God. Make sure that my, make sure that I'm doing it for that intention to worship and praise God. But I can do that on my own. Yep. Okay. So there's an there's an an act of worship that can be engaged individually. James five verse thirteen singing. Okay. But if I'm but in the assembly of the church, we are also to sing, and and here there, there's a condition applied in Colossians three verse sixteen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and. And hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So here, notice that when we sing, when others are around, that part of what we are doing is teaching and admonishing one another. That then necessitates everybody singing. No special music, no soloists, no quartets, no choirs. Because if if we have special music where one or a handful are singing and the others are just listening, then that's not teaching and admonishing one another. This is a that's a reciprocal action. Yeah. Yeah. And so when we when we are together in worship, corporate worship in singing requires all to, pers- to participate, not just a few. Yeah, Ephesians five nineteen has similar language. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's not an instruction just to one or two. Yeah. The ones that have the prettiest voice, the ones who can project the loudest, uh, they'll get up front and uh, know where to speak to ourselves. We're, it's, it, this is a, a a thing that we do it together. So here's a good illustration of how people have perverted an act of worship. We know that in many religious services, there are soloists, there are quartets or duets or certainly choirs. That's not authorized. So although it may be beautiful to listen to, and although the people doing it may be, oh, dear old sister so-and-so, she's just so sincere she plays the organ on Sunday morning, you know, and we just love to hear her. I don't care how sincere she is. She's not authorized. First of all, instrumental music is not authorized. We've talked about that a ton of times on the virtual Bible study. But a single person performing in music, be it singing, for instance, a soloist, no matter how sincere she is, it doesn't fit the bill of corporate worship conduct. Again, there are two factors, spirit and in truth. And so that that uh, that may really move me. You know, that that woman getting up and singing by herself be a lot prettier than me singing, Kyle, and it probably it probably would be more moving for uh, us to hear a pretty voice rather than some of our voices. But it's spirit and truth that matter. And so it's not just how it you know how it affects my attitude. It's Am I doing it like God said? Absolutely. I think it's uh, one of the one of the rationales in the years ago for introducing instruments instruments in the worship because you know we sound so horrible. We sound like cats, you know, 
Helen in there, so why don't we put a you know put a you know a piano or you know, we so that's that was introduced that was one of the rationales early on in uh, putting on uh, you know, instrumental music. So I think we need to be careful there. All right, let's let's go quickly through this list before we pick up our our emailers. Jacob. Okay. Uh, this, uh, another act of worship is praying when we come together. Now we know that individuals can and should pray. All the time. First Thessalonians 5 or 17, pray without ceasing. We ought to always be in the mind of prayer. Uh, Paul said in Philippians 1 verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you all, always in every prayer of mine for you, making request with joy. So Paul prayed. He prayed for those Philippian brethren. Obviously, Paul was a man of prayer. We can engage prayer privately, obviously, but we know there were times when Christians were together and they prayed together in Acts chapter 20 when Paul had met with the Ephesian elders. Uh, uh, let's see here. Let me get to the right verse. Uh, when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorry most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. So there, there's a case of Christians together engaging in prayer so you can pray alone you can pray in the company of other christians uh, you can do that yeah. obviously though you would have to pray within the bounds of scriptural authority for instance a woman leading prayer in the church could could a woman pray in the church well no she couldn't because that would be a violation of the principle uh first corinthians fourteen thirty four let your women keep silence in the church it's not permitted unto them to speak, but they're commanded to be under obedience as also saith the law so there 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 would be a matter of truth that could be at stake. The act of prayer is certainly something that can be done individually or corporately, but there are some rules that have to be followed if we're going to be doing it in truth. There were rules there in Acts chapter fourteen i mean first Corinthians fourteen about prayer as well in verse fifteen. What is it? I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit. I will sing with the understanding also. Verse 16, as we think about corporate prayer being different from individual prayer. Else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing thou he understandeth not what thou sayest? So um, when we pray corporately, it needs to be done in certain ways, certain manners, so that all can participate and benefit it. from it. That's right. Exactly right. Okay. okay. So prayer is another act of worship that can be engaged individually or corporately. Teaching or study. We know we're commanded to study. First Peter three verse eighteen uh, tells us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We need to be individually involved in study. Right. Uh, Hebrews five verses twelve four, through fourteen uh, as a strong rebuke to some Christians who should have been more knowledgeable and weren't. They hadn't applied themselves. So in, in regards to studying the word, certainly, hopefully, we engage in that on an individual basis. But we know that it, it is also done in a gathering of Christians. We mentioned earlier Acts chapter 20, verse 7. It says that uh, on the first day of the week, the disciples came together to break bread. And Paul preached to them. And continued his speech till midnight. So there was the proclamation of the word in the assembly, too. Yeah. Uh, in Acts chapter um, 18, when uh, Aquila and Priscilla took Apollos aside uh, and uh, expanded unto him the way of the Lord more perfectly, Acts 
18, verse 26. There's a small group, Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos. So there are various settings in which we can study and proclaim God's word. Our study can be individual. It can be in small groups. It can be corporately. But obviously, it's got to be in truth. In Galatians chapter 1 and verses 8 and 9, Paul warned. He said, uh, verse 8, Galatians 1 verse 8, Though we are an angel from heaven, preach any of the gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any of the gospel to you than that you have received, let him be accursed. So the preaching has to be according to truth. Whenever we're doing it, if it's in a small group, we better be true to the word. If it's if it's in a large assembly of the saints, it better be true to the word. And if I want to do myself a personal favor on my in my individual study, I better be sure that I'm digging out the truth and That's not right. not right. not allowing it to be perverted in my mind. All right, excellent comments. All right, so we have there. We have the singing. We have the praying. We have the teaching. All those are we see where they're done individually. They're done corporately. The rules relating to each of those is different, whether it's individually or corporately, uh, other than the teaching, I suppose. Well, the teaching as well. Even the teaching. I mean, women can't teach in the public assembly. All right. So there's and then. But that's not all. There are other acts of worship that are instructed in the New Testament. All right. Now. How much time we got here? We got time to dig into one more of these. Yeah, you're uh, close. Why don't we? Uh, why don't we get a break? Okay, let's grab a break. When we get back, I think we want to talk about the two that really give us the problem areas, especially in this present dilemma, uh, this pandemic crisis, and the practices that some are engaging are in question. And lots of people have been thinking about this, studying about this, discussing this. So we have two more acts of worship, giving and the Lord's Supper. And uh, are those to be done individually or corporately? We'll get that on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Our bullet point this week comes from the pen of R.L. Whiteside in the book Kingdom of Promise and Prophecy. The claim that science and the Bible do not agree should disturb no one. What is called science is not static. Each generation brings new light. Most of the old theories have been exploded by scientists themselves. Yet each generation of scientists boldly announces that science has disproved the Bible. But it can as easily be proved that science has disproved itself. With all their dogmatism about the Bible and science, there are a few theories that real scientists are willing to take their stand upon and say, quote, here is the ultimate truth. No future discoveries will contradict this, unquote. So as long as they cannot afford to affirm that they have arrived at ultimate truth, how can they with honor say that science disproves the Bible? Besides, if the Bible fully agreed with the theories of one age, it would not agree with the theories of the next age. The Bible is unchangeable and cannot keep up agreement with that which constantly changes. Some of the foremost scientists recognize the limitations of science and are firm believers in the Bible. Preach the word. No known truth contradicts the Bible. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Rick Harris, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. I hope you'll join me and many others in this weekly Internet Bible study group. Be sure to listen every Thursday night. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And we're back on the program. I think that was recorded before we even had a podcast of the virtual Bible study. This is pre-podcast days. 
Um, now you can podcast it, and most of our listeners do. So we want to hear from you, regardless of when you're listening. Questions at collegeu.com is the email address to use. Listeners, uh, as we get into the next uh, act of worship, have have contacted us about this, uh, the, the, our position on the next one. So if you, if, and we've had to do some thinking on that. So if you think uh, that you have disagree with something that was said on a program, you want to further clarity or further information, you'd like further study, questions at collegeu.com is the email address to use anytime you may be listening uh, years from now. Questions at collegeview.com. We want to hear from you. Uh, check us out on uh, our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com, and uh, check us out on YouTube. Uh, the link to that is on our website as well for our worship assemblies, uh, where you can see what we do as we worship God in our services here. Okay, so the question now is an, the, another act of worship. We've talked about singing, praying, and teaching. Number four, what about our giving? Now, here I think this is a little different. I, 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 I can't give in an individual act of worship. Now, I can do acts of benevolence. I can, do, I, can, I can even use my money to personally proclaim the gospel to the lost people of the world. But as an act of specified worship, giving, I don't know, that, I don't know how you give to yourself how you give individually. Uh, so, uh, I, I suppose it, we could quibble a little bit. If I'm, if I, if I sacrificially use my money to promote the cause of Christ in the world, someone could call that giving. Um, but what we're talking about is the kind of thing that is instructed in second Corinthians chapter nine, uh, at verse seven, Second Corinthians 9, verse 7, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. We're talking about that kind of giving. We're also especially talking about the kind of giving that Paul commanded in 1 Corinthians 16, beginning verse 1. He said, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in stores. God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And Jacob, I think that that's the, that's the passage that maybe we've been challenged about. You may have taken a little different slant on it now. I don't know that I have. I understand that passage to teach that our contribution is to be done on Sunday. For instance, we would say it would not be according to truth to take up a collection when we get together for Wednesday night Bible study. Certainly it does specify the day on the first day of the week. It has to be on the first day of the week. Yeah, so Brent down in Alabama challenged us on that. And he said, you know, what about could you have a box at the back of the auditorium. And so on your way out of the building, maybe in the vestibule, there's a box, maybe sort of like they did in the temple, where you drop your your offering in there. In other words, he's asking, would it have to be done between the opening prayer and the closing yeah, while prayer? We're to, while we're together in the assembly. When, when the assembly is actually underway. Or could you, as some are doing, you know, they still there still is a need, so... On Sunday, they're designating a, f- a few people to be in the parking lot, and you just go by at your leisure on Sunday afternoon uh, at, by the church building and make your uh, offering there. Um, 
I don't. I don't want to quibble it with Brent about it. Brent is such a sincere, genuine guy. I wouldn't. I wouldn't quibble with him about his. And, and I know his heart is sincere. But this seems clearly to me to be in the assembly. In other words, they were to they were to be doing it regularly on the first day of the week, specifically in verse two, so that when Paul arrived, remember this was on Paul's last missionary journey, yep. and he was traveling through the churches and he was taking up a contribution to take it to the okay. needy saints in Jerusalem. All right. And it's clear that they were putting this into a common fund. So that there would not be the necessity of an emergency gathering right. when he came. I agree with that. So, in other words, do it in your normal assemblies on the first day of the week. We know they were coming together on the first day of the week to take the Lord's Supper, Acts twenty verse seven. Right. We know that we know that the first day of the week was their normal day of assembly. They were. And this, I believe, cannot be coincidental that he's saying on the first day of the week. Also lay by in store. I agree that it, there is some some coincidence there, but are you reading something into the scriptures that's not there? It says to do it on the first day of the week. Are you reading something there that is not necessarily in the scriptures? Can you say for sure that it has to be in the assembly from First Corinthians chapter sixteen, verse two? I think. I it, mean, I feel better about it, and I'm, I want to do it that way. But yeah. can you say? From the scriptures that that it has to be in the assembly from First Corinthians sixteen verse two. I can't. It specifies the day. It specifies and it can't the day. be something I do at home. But in there's, a shoe an, box. there's something implied there that there be no gatherings when I come implies that this was in their normal gatherings. That well, that it's gathered into it's the treasury. It's, it's into a, the treasury. It's, it's a question as to what's inferred. Not, not what do we infer from what is implied. There's, I think the implication is that this was something they did when they were already together in their assemblies so that it would not would not require an, an, an additional gathering. So I think the key word is uh, that there be no gatherings when I come. What's implied is this is already taken care of it's in, already, the, in the regular gatherings. Well, it's already gathered together. It's already gathered together. So I, I I'm with I feel more comfortable and, and it's it's one of those things where you're gonna I mean let's do it the same. No, what you're saying that the gathering there is not the gathering together of Christians, but the gathering together of money. Absolutely, it's not the gathering. It's not. I don't know about that. Okay, well, here, <laughs> let, let me take you to Acts chapter five. Okay, Ananias and Sapphira. Now I know there are apostles involved here, but this is the church. That wasn't an assembly. True. I, I agree, and and that wasn't the assembly when Barnabas came and brought it to the apostles' feet. Now you could well, you don't know that you don't know that you don't in know, the case of Barnabas, but, but it doesn't seem to be part of the Ananias and Sapphira story. Right, right. that's right. It seems like they were, so. Could you make an argument? I, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's different because of the apostles and, but they were bringing it, and you could say, well, that had to be the first day of the week because First Corinthians sixteen verse two. But it's something to think about, uh, and we got to make sure that we're. I mean, I, I'm more. I, it's the safe way is to do it in the assembly, but I don't know. It, to me, it doesn't make sense that it would be otherwise, since the day is specified. If it's just something I can drop by anytime I want, why is the first day important? If it's not done in the first day of the week, assembling of the saints. We, again, we know emphatically that their normal day of assembly was the first day of the week. If it, it, so, if this giving is is not in conjunction with that. Why is the first day? Why couldn't I drop it by the church building on Monday afternoon? Well, uh, and maybe God. Well, I think to me, 
the specification of the first day of the week is meaningless if it doesn't line up well, with the fact that that's when they normally assembled anyway. I'll give you a, a what if. If God didn't specify a day, then it would be easy for you to say, you know, I'll get around to that tomorrow. I'll do that I'll do that I'll do that on Saturday. I'll do that I'll do that next week. By specifying a day that 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 says okay, you mm-hmm. got to get so I'm not persuaded. All right, so here's a question. Well, okay, so now let's we don't want to we we're, we're, we're going to chase rabbits here, but all right, can you send your check with someone else? Say uh, you know, hey, hey, I'm no, sick. Now that, that's a I think that's a, a fairer question. Well, okay, now if, if under your understanding, you can't do that because it has to be done in the assembly. Yeah, I, I think, I've, and I I have not thought along those okay. lines before, but I think maybe that deserves some reconsideration. Okay, well, you got to be consistent. Yeah. So, Lou says, "Here's this is a good question. Do you have to physically put your offering in the collection plate? Many people, myself included, have automatic payment from my checking to the church on Sunday. Mm, I hadn't thought about that. Uh, that's in there. I mean, I you know I would think that." Would that would I would that would qualify? I think you're, you're doing it on the first day of the week. I mean, do you have to physically? Yeah, it does but, have to be in the assembly. Uh, so I think Lou's got a good good question. I'd never even considered before. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't, I'm going to give some more thought to that. But to me, of course, we know that 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 wouldn't even have been an option to first century Christians. The only and and the only way they could have contributed was to physically place it there yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, i'm going to give some more thought to that but okay. i'm not persuaded that it's anything to be done other than in the assembly when we come together all right well but, I mean, you know I, I, I mean, do this way. does this does challenge you know because i have done this before i'm going to be away this sunday but I'll write my check earlier and put it in the collection plate. Oh, yeah, sometimes you get up there to do the, you know, you, you yeah. reach out for the plate. Oh, somebody's left something in there already. Yeah. On Friday afternoon. Before uh, left we, got, we, got, we got to think a little bit more on that one. I, I, I appreciate Brent for challenging us on yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. And we wanted Brent to be on tonight, but he had work obligations that prevented that. So maybe we can get Brent on. Well, Brent's a, Brent's a great guy and a very sincere Christian. And, 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 and I appreciate his thoughtfulness on this question. So I'm not... Uh, no disrespect to Brent at all, but I got to say I'm not persuaded it's anything other than what it says right. that the first day of the week is not just a, an arbitrary picking of a day, but it's a day that's picked because that's their day of worship. Pretty quiet in the chat room. I don't know if we get any comments on uh, what folks feel in the chat room there tonight. All right, uh, number and five. Number five, and we're getting a lot of disagreement about this during this coronavirus. The Lord's Supper. I'm of the I'm of the strong conclusion that this is something that is done when the church comes together. And the verses of Scripture have become well known to us if they weren't already. In 1 Corinthians 11, uh, Paul, of course, is rebuking the Corinthians because they were abusing their assemblies for the Lord's Supper. But understanding the context, he says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 18, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. Partly I believe it. Verse 20, when you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. His point is it should have been, but it wasn't. They were coming together as the church. They were coming together in one place. Yep. 
Acts 20, verse 7, which we've already referenced uh, multiple times tonight. In Acts 20, verse 7, the Christians in, Cro- in Troas, it says, On the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. They came together to break bread. And so I don't... I, I don't think that you can observe the Lord's Supper scripturally if you're by yourself. If I was by myself on Sunday, I would not make an attempt to observe the Lord's Supper. Uh, because I believe it is something that's done when the church comes together. Again, the key phraseology is come together in the church, come together into one place. Actually, 1 Corinthians 14.23, which I think is a long continuation of the same context, he even mentions there... The whole church be come together in one place. So it's a coming together. It's not just, it's not just a few Christians. It's not me by myself or just a, a small group of Christians meeting. It's the church come together for that purpose. I don't think you can do it elsewhere. Uh, I, I heard a brother who, who objected and thought that he could and was doing it and felt that he was very justified in, in observing the Lord's Supper on his own or in a small group. And he referenced 1 Corinthians 10, uh, verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And he said, it's a communion with the Lord. That, that, and I can do that. I, I, and so if, if, if I'm by myself and I, uh, and I do this act of eating the unleavened bread and partaking the fruit of the vine, remembering the body and blood, I'm communing with the Lord. And I'm authorized to do it based upon 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. Well, I think that is what we do. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 tells us what we do, but it doesn't tell us all the information about how we do it. In fact, it, it doesn't even tell us uh, the total specifics about the cup or the, that, that verse alone. You wouldn't know what the cup was. You'd have to go elsewhere to find what's in the cup. So it tells us what we do. We're communing with the blood and body of Jesus but other verses tell us how we do that. Yeah. This wouldn't tell us what day of the week we do it on. You'd have to go elsewhere. to. Uh, so this tells us what we're doing, but not how. And how we do it is on the first day of the week in the assembly. You know, and First Corinthians 11, as you mentioned there, uh, tells uh, tells us that they were coming together in one place to eat the Lord's Supper. And I'd go a little bit later in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. I'm, I'm proclaiming something to others. What are you, what are you showing? If, you, yeah, yeah. if I'm in my bedroom by myself, who am I showing that to? Yeah. Yeah. So let's grab our last break and we got to read what our uh, emailers have said about this. And then we got to rush on. We are running close on time tonight. Uh, don't go anywhere. We're going fast on the other side. Don't we'll be back right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Hi, I'm Jeremy Frelix. I'm a member of uh, College View Church of Christ here in Columbia, Tennessee, and I have a few words to say. Occasionally, we hear parents who say that they don't want to force religion on their children. These misguided folks think they're doing their kids a favor by letting them decide for themselves. They're afraid that there will be some resentment in their children later if religion had been crammed down their throats. If we may be absolutely blunt in response, that is one of the most ridiculous ideas anyone ever suggested. We force many things on our children. We insist that they bathe, brush their teeth, change their clothes, etc. We cram education down their throats by making them attend school regularly. We demand that they do their homework. We force them to eat good food, 
get adequate rest, and do other things that are important to their health and development. We do all of this because we know it is in their best interest, and we do it even when the kids don't like it. Why is it this such a common sense approach is neglected by parents who are determined to let the kids decide for themselves when it comes to religion? Dr. James Dobson writes, There's a critical period when certain kinds of instruction are easier in the life of children. There is a brief period during childhood when youngsters are vulnerable to religious training. Their concepts of right and wrong are formulated during this time, and their views of God begin to solidify. The opportunity of that period must be seized when it is available. The absence or misapplication of instruction through that prime time period may place a severe limitation on the depths of the child's later devotion to God. When parents withhold indoctrination from their small children, allowing them to decide for themselves, the adults are almost guaranteeing that the youngsters will decide in the negative. God's Word has always taught us the truth on the subject. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22.6 We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. 65% of churches have seen a decline in giving since mid-March as congregations have halted in-person services due to the coronavirus, according to a new survey. The survey released April 22nd found that a third of churches, 34%, reported that giving had dropped between 10% and 20%. About one in five churches, 22%, said that the decline has been between 30 and 50%. Almost a tenth of churches, that is 9%, reported a drop of 75% or more in giving to their congregations. Just 8% of churches said giving had increased, and 27% reported that it remained steady. That information is via Religion News Service. The Word of God says in Second Corinthians 9, beginning verse 6, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians three seventeen. Now back to the program. All right, we're back on the program going t- fast here. Here's what our listeners said as far as the five acts of worship. Uh, singing praises to God has been shown through the scriptures, Dwight says. Colossians three sixteen, Acts sixteen twenty five, James five thirteen. Praying to God is clearly seen with Jesus in the garden, Matthew twenty six thirty nine, Acts sixteen twenty five. Acts 2.42, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, and James 5.13, and many other passages. Teaching was done all throughout the scriptures, Acts 17.11, Acts 18.26. These three articles of worship are at our fingertips to do inside or outside the assembly with one, two, or many, and any given day of the week. Giving in particular Lord's Supper are given more qualifications, Acts 20, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 16.11, 17-33. Clearly show that the saints were together. That is to say, in one location to perform these steps of worship, uh, we see that the assembly of the church was happening as these two acts of worship were going on. Uh, And then Kent says, the New Testament authorizes singing, praying, teaching, giving, and the Lord's Supper as acts of worship. It can be established that Christians may sing, pray, and engage in Bible teaching outside of the collective worship assembly of the local church. However, we do find precedent for the local church coming together in the assembly to engage engage in the five items of worship. That has been previously stated, Colossians 3.16, Acts 2.42, Acts 20, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 16.102. During the first century, these assemblies of exhortation were so important that the brethren were warned not to forsake them, Hebrews 10.25. Concerning the five items of worship authorized by new, the New Testament of Christ, the items of giving and the Lord's Supper are specified to be practiced in the first day assembly of the local church, Acts 20, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 16.1 and 2. While the other items of worship, singing, prayer, and teaching take place, Within the first day of the week assembly, Acts 2.42, Colossians 3.16, 1 
they are not limited to the assembly as our giving and the Lord's Supper, Ken says. Okay. I would agree with Kent on that observation. I think that's a good summary. Okay. Um, real quickly in the YouTube chat window, Clay has asked concerning the giving in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. He says the reason to give is also specified. It was for the needy saints. Mm-hmm. He says... Does that rule out other uses of the first day of the week contribution? I say no, and here's my here's my reasoning on that. The church has authorized work to do. One of the authorized works of the church is the benevolence toward needy saints. First Corinthians sixteen one and two tells us that we take up a collection on the first day of the week to accomplish that part of the work of the church. But we know that the church is also authorized to do evangelism, to engage in edification. And so how does the church come by funds to do authorized acts? Well, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 is the only place that gives us that information. It says how they got their funds to do the authorized work of benevolence. But we would infer from that that that's also, because we don't have any other information, that's also the way that they came by their funds to do other authorized work of evangelism and edification so i would say no we're not limited in the use of the money to that specific purpose we are limited uh, by bible authority to only do what the the, the scriptures authorize the church to do first corinthians 16 1 and 2 tells us how we get the funds to do those works okay and right. then chris in the youtube chat window says if one act of worship that is to be done on the first day of the week can be done outside of the opening prayer and the closing prayer why not the other acts of worship? All right. So he, I think he's probably taking the view that giving is to be done within the confines of the assembly. All right. All right. We got right. to we got to talk some more and think about that because we want to make sure we're not reading something into that that's not there. Uh, so all right. So all right. Go on. We got two more questions and eight minutes. That's four minutes per question. That's that, does a simple hour. does a simple plurality of Christians establish a setting wherein all acts of worship may be engaged? This was question three. This goes to the statement of Jesus in Matthew eighteen verse twenty, where two or three are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst of them. And that and that expression has been used to justify you and me and Kyle are going camping next weekend. And it's going to be kind of inconvenient for us to break camp and get some place to go to church on Sunday morning. We're just going to do it around the campfire. I'll bring some crackers. You bring some grape juice. Uh, and and so we'll just spend a few minutes. We'll read a few Bible verses. We'll pray. We'll, we'll even sing a couple songs, Kyle. I mean, it probably won't sound real pretty because, you know, but we'll do that. And then we're going to take the Lord's Supper. But there's three of us. And Jesus said, we're two or three are gathered together. There am I in the midst of them. Acts 18.20. I've written about this a couple times recently in our church bulletin. I just encourage everybody to look at the context of uh, Acts 18 there, and it doesn't have a thing to do with worship assemblies. That statement does not apply to the idea of worship assemblies, uh, and it's led to a lot of violations. But what's really interesting there in Acts 18, verse 20, boy, we're just so short on time. In Acts 18.20, the context of that is dealing with an erring brother. Matthew 18.20. What did I say? Matthew 18.20. In Matthew 18, he's talking about how you deal with an erring brother. You go to him one-on-one. If he won't hear you, you take one or two with you. That would be two or three then, right? And if he, But notice, if he won't hear you, then take it to the church. So there were two or three together who went to this brother, but he wouldn't hear them. 
But the two or three didn't constitute the church because after he refused to hear the two or three, then you take it to the church. So a simple plurality of Christians does not constitute a church. Yeah. Right. And, and and so uh, my, my judgment on that is clearly no, that a simple plurality of Christians does not constitute a setting justifying or authorizing the observance of the Lord's Supper. And Brent challenges on this as well. And and Acts eight or Matthew eighteen thirty or twenty is not limited to the act of disciplining an erring brother. Uh, it is a general statement that applies here, but it applies in other places that Christ is with us when we're doing things by his authority. But his authority for the Lord's Supper is when the whole church has come together. That's right. So he's not. He wouldn't be with us. There. So, so it, it, that, that excludes that. Right. I do agree with Brent that that uh, he's with us when we do things according to his will. Yep. He's with us yep. in his name. And his, when we do authority. it by, in his name, by his authority. Yep. But his authority for the Lord's Supper is in the assembly. Right. Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, here's what Kent said. No, it does not. For years, we have used the illustration of a link, links, and a chain, demonstrating the difference between individual and collective action. This same principle also demonstrates the difference between personal devotions and collective assembly worship. When one finds a link or a group of links, such does not constitute a chain. A chain exists only when a group of links are joined together. True collective assembly worship is constituted when a group of individual Christians come together as a local New Testament church. 1 Corinthians 11, 20, 16, 1 and 2, Acts 20, verse 7, Ephesians 5, 19. The reflective pronouns in the, this passage indicate an interchange of action. Matthew 18, 20 does not speak with reference to a worship assembly. While it is true that the omnipresence of deity is established in this passage, the passage contextually refers to the church disciplining church discipline being exercised in verse 17. Yeah. And then uh, Dwight says, simply put, no, I am a member of the local church in point A. If I choose to worship in my home for a period of time due to the virus, I have not started a new work in point B. I'm still a member of the local church in point A. I'm not a member of two churches at the same time. Where do we see anyone in the one, first century being a member of two congregations at the same time? During this time, if we sing and pray and teach, we are doing what we have liberty to do according to the Scripture. As for giving in Lord's Supper, I would not be gathered together with the saints in point A to do these acts of worship. Matthew 18, verse 20. Uh, the verse has been taken out of context to say that we're at liberty to worship or two or three are gathered. Okay, good. I agree, Dwight. Okay, quickly. And then real quickly, let's take the four. We're not going to get to the extra question that I suggested, but the last question was, does a virtual meeting over the Internet qualify as an assembly of the church allowing for the observance of all acts of worship, specifically the observance of the Lord's Supper. So we're together in the virtual world. None of us are physically together, but we're a bunch of people all over, and we're in the virtual world. We're watching on the Internet, but we have the elements with us in our own private settings. But we're together. The argument is we're together virtually. It is an assembly. And uh, and I, I, I think that's clearly not scriptural. It is not. The church come together in one place. Again, words mean things. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20, when you come together, therefore, into one place, the place there's a geographical location, not a virtual world. And so, uh, no. Uh, a virtual meeting does not qualify. Here's what Ken says. No, it does not. The term virtual is defined as being such an essence or effect, though not formally recognized or admitted. A virtual focus is defined as a point from which the divergent ray, which divergent rays as of light seem to emanate, emanate, but do not ver- actually do so. A virtual assembly, therefore, means something coming together. However, in reality, does not take place due to the fact that Christians are not coming together in one place. Okay. And then uh, 
Dwight says, I believe the scriptures are clear that for all articles of worship to be done, we must have authority to do them. We must worship in spirit and truth. Nothing else is acceptable to God. For us to give and partake of the Lord's Supper outside of the coming together of the saints, we do not see scripture. So virtually is not coming together in one location, only the coming together of saints into a single location, whether it's a building, hillside, parking lot, park, or whatever, is following what the scriptures show. To separate our church into many groups, that's M-I-N-I groups, uh, and do our own worship or collectively via virtual, virtually as many have done and perform as another church, we cannot find this action in the scriptures. Okay. All I right. think we're in agreement with that. All right. All right. We had to rush. We didn't get quite done. I had another thought there. After I sent out the update today, I had the thought about, is it, is it a good thing to divide the church up into smaller groups so that we stay with below a certain capacity level in our auditoriums? Can we have multiple assemblies on the Lord's Day? I'd like to hear that discussed more thoroughly. My my initial take on it is that's not the whole church come together. That's that's not the church coming together in one place. That's segments of the church coming together, but it's not the church coming together. And so uh, I'm, I'm concerned that that's not following the pattern. All right. So that's maybe a discussion for another day. But uh we, we, we started the, the program with this emphasis, and we need to close the program with this emphasis. And that's why we spent the time tonight talking about it, because it does matter how we worship God. It matters how we worship God. It's not just you make up your own rules. Yeah, you we you gotta, do what and, makes you happy. You do what makes you feel good. And we can't let circumstances affect the approach on that. Yeah. I mean, all throughout Scripture, I was reminded of uh, Joshua 22. You remember when uh, the, the uh, Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they're going back to the east side of the Jordan. And they and built an altar. They built an altar. And all the rest of the Israelites got together, and they were going to go whoop up on those guys because they thought they were doing something that God hadn't authorized. He, they were worshiping God in a way that they shouldn't have. They said, what are you guys doing? Why? What's the deal? And they said, we weren't worshiping God. We this weren't is, going to use it to actually make sacrifices. It's just a memorial. Yeah, but they were They were, they were, ready, to go, they were ready, to get, ready to fight. Because they had seen how God handled people who didn't worship him the way he said to worship them. Yeah. Him. And, well, it's been a long time since God showed that to people, and I'm afraid we've forgotten, Kyle, that it does matter, that God takes it very personally when we don't follow his instructions. And so we've got to take some time to, to think about what those instructions are and make sure we're complying. Absolutely. I think we need to make sure we're in spirit and in truth. I think it's those are words that we need to embed themselves in our mind and in our hearts, and we need to make sure that what the worship we give God, that this God, the worship God wants. Yeah. Sure. All right. Good. Good, good discussion. Kyle, thanks for being here. Yeah, Dad, thank you for your thanks, time. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you for being here on the other end of the line, and uh, we look forward to you joining us again this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.